Let me get the recording going again. Uh, now I think I'm getting a better sense. Apologies for I've been having technical problems and getting the recordings going, but this will at least get the last 10 minutes. Okay, so we went through all those exercises. And what was the point here? When we look at the next Aya, Aya 22. So Allah's the one who spread out the earth for you as a resting place, and he built the sky as a canopy or as a ceiling, and he sends water down from it, and then with the water produces fruits, where's fruits, produces fruits for you as your sustenance. So again, very commonly, when we read passages about Allah in the Quran, it's very easy to glide past them because we already believe Allah knows all, does all, and everything. But try to notice your evolution from when we began with earth, sky, water, and fruit to saying he made the earth a resting place for you. And he's the one who made the sky a ceiling for you. And he is the one who brings down water from the sky for you. And he's the one who then brings fruit as your sustenance. And so that changes the whole attitude completely. So one thing that's very interesting in terms of comparative religion is that no primary scripture speaks about nature as much as the Quran does. And so when we're also looking at what the Quran is saying about nature, we're seeing its function all around us. And so one metaphor people give is that first you're in the womb of your mother, and then you go into the womb of this world. And what's the case of the womb of your mother? You're fully protected. You're taking care of your sustenance and everything is provided. And then when you're born into this world, the same thing. Your sustenance is there. The only difference is that instead of being delivered to you, you have to go look for it. Right, that's the story of Hajar that we observe at every Hajj or every Eid al-Adha, that she had to go find the, the water, she had to go find sustenance for herself and her son, and it was right under her feet where she was sitting. But if she sat there, she wouldn't have found it. And so, but she had she had conviction that it was there somewhere. And so, on the one hand, what are we saying? Look at this nature as Allah providing for you from every single direction, whether we're talking about sustenance, whether we're talking about security, whether we're talking about comfort. This is a resting place for you. He is giving you comfort. Sky is a ceiling. We're giving we're given, uh, 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 security. Water comes down from the sky and fruits come forth. We have our sustenance provided for us as well. Malahat. So one thing came to my mind is that uh... Even is a even is thinking about something which the thought is is like a part of the shirk is even that ayah is kind of negating that part too. Like you know, sometimes sometimes we think that you know, okay, X Y Z created by us or invented by humans, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, is this is like very huffy and very like um subtle thought process comes sometime in people's mind, right? Uh, uh, that, you know, that, that, you know, when we rethink the same thought, I personally feel that, you know, it's, it's like, a, I'm, I'm sure I'm not thinking about something close to the shirk, you know, 
like inventions, something, something we see, something which looks out of ordinary. Uh, mm-hmm. and then God does not come to our mind as a first creator. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, go ahead. so, so that, that I'm just thinking out loud that this, this I is very profound. It's kind of like, like negating even that thought process that don't even thought about uh, shirk at all. So yeah, I'd be cautious to make what you're describing as anything close to shirk. But I think it's very common to not think of the fact that, okay, Allah is running everything as this, you know, as this whole system around us. And so as part of the process of getting closer to Allah, then we really reflect on the fact that, all right, all this lawn in front of me, the sky outside, the trees and everything is not only created by Allah, that's the easy part, but it is there for my well-being. Hmm. And so, so it's easy not to focus on that. Yeah, this is the first time reading this ayah, this, this, thing, this thought came to my mind. Hmm. Interesting, interesting point, inshallah. Yeah. So the ayah then finishes with the second command. So Allah has done all this for you. He made the earth a resting place. The sky, a ceiling, brings water down from the sky and brings forth fruits as your sustenance. Therefore, so do not make with Allah rivals knowingly. Uh, Omar, you break up. Can you repeat the last sentence? So, so, uh, so that Allah made the earth a resting place and the sky a ceiling and brings down water from the sky, bring forth fruits as your sustenance. Therefore... Don't make a rival to Allah. Don't knowingly make rivals to Allah. So again, this is related to your point about shirk, right? That uh, if I'm giving credit to someone else, I'm still too hesitant to use the word shirk because that's a very big word. But, you know, the idea being don't knowingly make rivals to Allah, especially in terms of what you rely upon. So not just the fact that Allah has made this system all designed for me. So it means... uh... Uh, are we saying that like if you explain the mechanics right there's something is called mechanics how yes. the things function right yeah. and it has a certain knowledge that we acquire and to understand how the things function like does that also maybe we are going into that gray area i don't think so as long as the we are understanding that the mechanics were organized by allah because yeah. One way to just simply think of science is science, whether you're talking about physics, chemistry, biology, zoology, et cetera, et cetera, is we're studying how did Allah set up the whole world? How did Allah set up the whole universe? So this is how we understand, right? So there's a a method that we understand and there's a knowledge that how Allah Ta'ala executes everything, Mm -hmm. which we do not have the knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. We, We have only the knowledge from what our abilities are and which are basically all these knowledge like sciences or or all the other knowledges and so yeah so in terms of our knowledge we can learn a lot of the mechanics at least at one level right yeah you know maybe even deeper than one level right because like even you know we always talk about in the 20th century we shifted from newtonian science to einsteinian science right and then there's probably something even deeper you know than, than quantum physics and such uh, yeah. But the basic point being that those are all mechanics. Yes. You know? yes. Um, now, if 
I'm not thinking of the fact that Allah is the one who set this all up. I'm not doing something wrong, right? However, if I do think that Allah set this all up, then I'm doing something good. So, right, if I'm forgetting that Allah uh, organized everything, that's not a sin, that's not a crime or anything like that. But if I'm remembering that Allah set up everything, then that's good. And then as, as Shala mentioned, then if on top of that, I'm becoming grateful or even I'm astounded, right? I mean, the universe is astounding. If I'm astounded, not just by the creation, by the creator, and that's even better. And this goes back to, you know, when we were speaking of Al-Fatiha, you know, four different ways to have a relationship with Allah. You know, so connection with Allah. And these are not the only ways. Those of you who were here for the previous hour, we talked about this at the beginning of class. One is by his names. One is by praise and appreciation of him. One is by worship, obedience, and one is by asking for help. And then when we speak of praising and obedience or praising and gratitude, this includes not just identifying that he is the one who, who made everything, but also being astounded by uh, um, his, his work, right? Marveling. at his creation, right? Being amazed by his creation, yeah? And so, so, so someone can study the mechanics of something as small as, you know, a goldfish and be astounded by that. And so a way to think about how nature operates, so this point of what we're basically saying is that the message from nature to us the message from nature uh, to us is look at me learn about me and be amazed by me and thus be amazed by my creator right so, so nature is constantly doing da'wa ilallah to us. That and makes so, sense more. Okay, good, good. Yeah. And so I might be sitting in nature and not appreciate all this. I might just be thinking about my survival. But anything from the construction of your hand or your fingers to the construction of a tree, to, to the construction of a cloud, or the whole system of it all working together. On the one hand, nature is praising Allah. We can't hear it. We can't understand it. That's nature's relationship with Allah. And nature's relationship with us is, again, look at me, and by appreciating me, appreciate my create my create my creator. That's I mean, that's what we do with paintings, right? That when we're looking at the, the sculptures of Michelangelo, you know, or the paintings of Da Vinci or the drawings of Da Vinci, 
you know, and we're saying, you know, look at, look at the statue of David or look at Pieta and all these other things, or look at, you know, this architect's work. We're appreciating the greatness of the art as a way to appreciate the artist. Uh, Judy, were you about to say something? You were talking about nature and not knowing that it's in worship of Allah. We used to joke with our kids that, you know, at dusk time, the, the birds will sit on the phone lines and, um, We'd say, look, they're getting ready to pray Asr, or look, oh. they're they're getting ready for Maghrib. It's so funny. Yeah. And perhaps that is what they were doing. So, and I think especially this time of the year, many of you probably hear the birds outside your house at Fudger time. You know, those who are awake around that time. But the point is, yeah, there seems to be uh, something special in those things. Uh, Dr. Malahat. Yeah, I'm going to continue with the, the journey of the understanding for the same discussion. I think this yeah. is uh, for the Shiriki Khafi, right? Uh, Dr. Star multiple times brought it up. That um, this is, uh, those thoughts comes to our mind, are those are part of the Shiriki Khafi, which is. Yeah, kind I'm cautious of, against call, calling that Shirk, but keep going. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, is this is like the deeper or some like very minute type of shirk, which we don't know how to get rid of. And we need to be cognizant about it. And also we can train ourselves to be cognizant about it. So we can train ourselves to be cognizant about it. Part of the reason why I'm cautious against calling that shirk is because your thoughts might not be coming from you. Hmm. Right? They might be coming from shaitan. Now you might be entertaining the thoughts once it's in your mind. See what I'm saying? Right. You know, but Shaitan's going to keep trying to put, you know, drops in your in your mind of, of doubt, of shirk, of kufr, of everything. And But then if you start entertaining the thoughts, then you might be going down uh, a, a harmful path. But as a principle, we're not held to account for our bad thoughts. But when we take bad thoughts and turn them into good, then we're rewarded for it. But yeah, I mean, keep keep uh, exploring it further, inshallah. I'm just saying that I'm very cautious about using the word shirk with this. You know, we can still say it's unhealthy. Yeah, I mean, the the one one hadith came to my mind is that you know that someone came to Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and he said that you know whatever you you desire and Allah desire. So Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi stopped him and said, you know, are you actually just you know partnering with me with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? So, so those kind of things, but he said it loudly, right? That yeah, I was going to say, I mean, right. I, uh, I'm not remembering the narration itself. See if you can find the narration, but there is someone's actually saying something, which is much different than a thought. Yeah. Okay. And uh, let's see. I thought we were not judged by our thoughts. Yeah, we are, we are rewarded for good thoughts, uh, Isa, but the majority of opinions, we are not held to account for bad thoughts, especially because Shaitan is inserting thoughts into our minds or into our hearts, however you want to look at it. Uh, nevertheless, you can reach a point in your closeness to Allah where upright actions are easy, the upright tongue is easy, and then you're focused on getting all your thoughts to be completely upright. Uh, so you can also be that scrupulous or that detail-oriented uh, in your relationship with Allah. I heard someone say once we need to be mindful of calling anything in nature like the weather bad or gloomy. Uh, I don't think it's a problem 
but uh, it's this more, uh, I would connect this with two things. One, in principle, I would agree, you know, that um, look at everything, look at the good of everything, look at the silver lining of every dark cloud. But there's the other side of it, which is also that we have to do in such a way that we're being honest with ourselves. That yesterday we had the extensive discussion saying that what I say in dua becomes a type of self-programming. And actually, I don't know, was that in this class? No, I think that might've been the other class, uh, sorry. But the point is that <clears throat> my tongue will often reflect how I'm feeling in my heart. And, and so maybe the sun is out and for me, that's gloomy. And I might be sharing something that is going on in my heart, which could be an indication I need help. Uh, but assuming I'm, I'm uh, upright inside or healthy inside, then yeah, I would say all that comes from Allah, especially nature, all of it is good. I just did an entire day of hand weeding the garden at times difficult to see these as blessings. Okay, fair enough. Although, although if it was uh, dandelions, the dandelions are a really strong source of nutrition. But I leave uh, the dandelions. Say it again. I said, I leave the dandelions. <laughs> but yeah, those sharp leaves are, you know, they're, they're good training for the hand. Okay. So, so again, what we now have had are two commands. Screen, screen, screen. There it is. So, thus, second command. Do not knowingly make rivals to Allah. Knowingly make rivals to Allah. So I think it also makes sense that this would be the second command. The first command is turning our whole focus onto Allah. And our second command is turning away from anything else. And so, so again, continuing the point that there is a discoverable logic to the surah. There's a discoverable sense to how the surah is organized. First command makes sense and the second command makes sense. And so what we will get to tomorrow, inshallah, is to do is to address the question, well, what if I'm not comfortable fulfilling either of these two commands? As we said that the first command was directed at whom? It is directed at all humanity, right? Oh, people worship your Lord. And nothing seems to have ch changed in the address from Ayo 1 to Ayo 2. So it's fair to assume that, that the second command is also addressed to all humanity. So if I'm Muslim, then I'll be like, yeah, sure. But what if I'm not Muslim and I'm not sure if I should fulfill this? I'm not sure if I'm convinced. And so, uh, Shalit, to answer your question, does it mean idols? At the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, definitely, but it's not limited to idols. Not idols, we're talking about the stones, the physical idols, because we might also so like, hold a lot of... I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead, you can finish. So we might be holding a whole lot of other idols in our hearts that are not made of stone. So like wealth could be considered a rival? Like uh, wealth value can that absolutely be considered a rival, yeah. Um, nationalism can also be considered a rival. 
uh, you know, the way people will choose their tribe, right or wrong, um, can be a rival as well. You know, and so wealth is often one of the big ones. And so, like we say, you know, keep your wealth in your hand, not in your heart. Okay. Any other questions? So, same point. Just like yesterday, I said after yesterday's class, look at this as an obligation upon yourself, which is basically an attitude that whatever Allah tells me to do, not only am I going to seek to do, I'm going to see it as beneficial for me. Now, this doesn't mean that, okay, all right, here's a command, there's a command, and we're going to fulfill them all. Right now, you're just focusing on developing the attitude. And the second, we said, don't make rivals to Allah knowingly. So take time to think of where might you find a conflict? Like, for example, in your loyalty. Is it your children? And again, I'm not saying, okay, if you decide your child is a rival between you and Allah, that you should go discard your child or something. No, obviously, I'm not saying that. But the point is, try to imagine in your life all the different places where you have rivals to Allah. And in our society, wealth is definitely one of them. But perhaps the biggest one in all of human history and in our society is your baser self. Okay, very good. So now we're getting into some heavier and heavier stuff. And we will add more to this, inshallah, tomorrow. Any last questions, thoughts about anything? I have one thought. You know, we yes. started the class talking about how we need to be in right relationship with um Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And sometimes I talk to my kids about money and our relationship to money, and I tell them it's just a tool and it's not even from us. Like it's it's something that flows like a river. It's supposed to flow through the world mm -hmm. and it comes nice. from Allah. So it's it's just you know, it's a tool. And if we look at it as a tool rather than something we possess, it, it we we tend to have a different relationship with it. Absolutely. So so is that a question or? No, it was just a comment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would agree with this. And and so even when we think back to the beginning of the whole course, of suggesting that so much of the Quran is teaching us how to look at reality, how reality operates and such. And that would especially apply to how we look at things and the type of values we give to things, especially money. Yeah. All right, any other questions or thoughts about anything else? Okay, then we will stop here, inshallah, and we will continue tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu la ilaha illa anta May Allah tell you all, inshallah, and we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.